Hey, y'all. This episode of the Golf Guide podcast is proudly presented by Pacific Coast Golf Guide. That is right. Starting in 2019, Golf Guide magazine will become Pacific Coast Golf Guide and will be expanding to the states of Washington and Hawaii, meaning that in Pacific Coast Golf Guide, you can find information on every single golf course in California, Hawaii, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington. And best of all, it is completely free of charge. So beginning at the end of January 2019, please do not forget to pick up a complimentary copy of Pacific Coast Golf Guide magazine. And to learn more, you can visit their website at golfguide.net. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I really do like that new uh, that new intro music. Another big thanks to uh, the Broiler for providing us with such satiable, delectable uh, music to, to bring this podcast into uh, into being. So, uh, hello everybody. I'm Kyle Sorlo. Thank you again for uh, joining us on this edition slash issue slash episode. I don't really know what the preferred nomenclature is for uh, a podcast episode, but whatever it is. I am here, and you are listening, and I very, very much appreciate you doing just that. Um, going to go through a couple of news items, and then actually I've got some uh, bigger news as it relates to something more on the local scale in terms of a new um, golf development project that has now been in the works for a while, but uh, I'm going to bring in some details uh, about that to you guys in the latter portion of the podcast. But for now, um, let's hit a couple items of news uh, as it regards to uh, professional golf. Um, first one being is last weekend, obviously you've heard by now, Lee Westwood and Matt Kuchar were both victorious on their respective tours. Lee Westwood winning in South Africa as part of the European tour and Matt Kuchar winning the Mayakoba classic down in Mexico. Um, awesome to see both these guys on the podium. Neither has won a professional event in uh, a couple of years. Um, two of the most beloved, um, figures in golf in each of their respective continents, um, Lee Westwood obviously being so many close so many times at Augusta and Matt Kuchar just being everybody's uh, favorite you know goofball on on tour which uh, is nice and oddly enough which I thought was <laughs> a really cool little wrinkle for both of their victories neither one of them was using their traditional loopers their caddies so uh, Lee Westwood had his girlfriend on the bag and he was basically calculating most of his own yardages seemed to be working out just fine considering that he uh, he brought home a win uh, and then Matt Kuchar, due to a schedule conflict, because he added the Mayakoba Classic uh, late in, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe just a couple of weeks before the tournament, he put it on his calendar. His regular caddy was not available. So he just uh, went at it with one of the local caddies down there, Mayakoba, and the guy won. And the best part is the caddy that Matt Kuchar had on his bag goes by the name El Tucan. <laughs> so Matt Kuchar and El Tucan, uh, victorious. Down at Mayakoba, which is super, super awesome. If you get a chance to go see any of the uh, the pictures or read any of the articles, either from golf.com, I think Michael Bamberger did a cool story about it. Also, if you check the social media sites like Instagram for the PGA Tour and everything like that, uh, they got a bunch of cool photographs of uh, Matt Kuchar and his, and his caddy, El Tucan, uh, you know, getting the accolades that go along with the spoils of victory. So a uh, very cool moment there for Matt Kuchar, Lee Westwood, and their caddies. So congratulations to both of them. Uh, stick along those same professional tour lines. 
a report has come out saying that Rory McIlroy is considering forfeiting his European tour card uh, so he may spend the bulk of his time playing on the PGA Tour against what he says is, quote, the best competition in the world, end quote. And uh, I find this to be, uh, well, I mean, as an American golf fan, exciting because, you know, anytime you get Rory McIlroy in more American fields, you're going to have more eyeballs on the event. Uh, it's good for the tour. It's good for television. It's good for advertisers. Uh, it just brings more eyeballs to golf, at least on the American front. What I don't quite understand is the whole, you know, PGA Tour is the superior competition. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the European team just knocked the USA's dick into the proverbial dirt uh, and, and did it so pretty convincingly at the Ryder Cup this year. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody's questioning the fact that, you know, the best players in the world, the majority of them play on the PGA Tour, but I've always thought of the European Tour as more of a kind of complementary tour to the PGA Tour, not so much a like a minor leagues. Um, you know, the competition on the European Tour is stout. Uh, by and large, they play much better golf courses, <laughs> and they certainly have a more interesting schedule because they're playing a larger variety of different courses in a variety of different countries. Um, the European Tour is really, really cool, uh, but again, selfishly, as an American golf fan, it will be cool um, to see Rory McIlroy uh, playing on this side of the pond more often, and I'm just realizing right now that I just really need to stop using the word cool quite as often so my my apologies for that uh, another note uh this weekend is going to be the aussie open the australian open the 103rd uh playing of the australian open happening this weekend at the lakes golf club which is a uh, a really nice private club in, uh either inside or just just outside of sydney um it's got a very sand you know sand belt kind of vibe to it it's not located on the uh the sand belt which obviously is down in melbourne but um, it plays through, I think, believe the back nine plays through a lot of dunes and linksy looking kind of stuff. So if you do get a chance to be a serious golf nerd this weekend and you find yourself watching a little bit of the Australian Open, um, please, you know, enjoy yourself. Should be a really, really fun golf tournament. Um, okay. And then last thing, this is not, it's not so much related to professional golf um, in terms of the touring pros, but this does go along the lines of uh, the PGA of America, which, again, is is not the same as the PGA Tour. Those are two totally different organizations. Um, the only thing they have in common is the fact that they get to say PGA in front of them. But um, the PGA of America has elected a new president. Uh, it is the first female to head the PGA of America. It is Miss Susie Whaley. Uh, she was a touring pro on the LPGA Tour for a few um, a few years in the early 90s, I believe. I think she even was one of the first women to play, I think maybe the first woman since Babe Zaharis uh, to actually play in a PGA Tour event, which she also did uh, during her time as a touring pro in the early 1990s. But uh, anyway, she has been elected as the first female president of the PGA of America. That is the, um, that is the organization that kind of oversees the 29,000 teaching professionals in the United States, um, anytime you go to a golf course and you see, you know, a PGA pro, it does not mean they are a touring pro, obviously, uh, but it means they are just simply a dues-paying member of the PGA of America. Um, I've had multiple people on this podcast uh, and many more people just in my personal life kind of discuss whether or not the PGA of America is really a worthwhile organization. You know, it seems like they ask an awful lot. Um of their members in terms of paying dues and requirements for things to do. And I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent positive as to what a lot of these tour pros are getting back. 
uh, by being members of the PGA of America. But nonetheless, um, the organization is close to 30,000 people strong. Um, and Susie Whaley is the new head uh, is the new head dog. Now, she does come in under a little bit of... How do I... How dare I... Jeez. How would I say? There, there's a little bit of a fog over the PGA of America right now uh, because its previous president, Paul Levy, uh, or it might be Levy, I don't really know, but uh, unfortunately, earlier this year, uh, he was arrested for a DUI down in Palm Desert where he got just savagely hammered and ran into a street sign, and um, the PGA of America and now Susie Whaley have elected to not discipline him. They have um, backed Paul Levy and uh, you know, declared their support for him in trying to help him get over all this, which is all well and good, but uh, the one thing that you know is is a little troubling is, uh, and this is from Morning Read, um, is that the president before that, Mr. Ted Bishop, um, a couple of years prior was hanging out with Nick Faldo, and Ian Poulter just came out and just blasted Nick Faldo in a uh, an autobiography uh, that he had written. And Ted Bishop, the former PGA of America president, came to Nick Faldo's defense and basically called out Ian Poulter, telling him that he was acting like a little girl. Um, and just by doing that, the PGA of America automatically just kicked Ted Bishop out. It's like, that—that that is way, way too far. You can't be calling people girls in a derogatory fashion on the internet. You're, you're fucking out, Ted. Um, so it is pretty interesting to see a organization that was so quick to pull the trigger and get Ted Bishop out of there stand behind a guy who, you know, just one or two things, you know, differently happen, and this guy gets hammered drunk and slams into a school bus full of children. Um, and the VGA is deciding to put their support behind Paul Levy. So, um, I, I don't have a dog in the fight either way. It's, you know, I, I am not a part of the PGA of America. I don't really have an opinion one way or another. It's just interesting to see, uh, the PGA of America put itself in this kind of position. And now the new president, Susie Whaley is going to be asked to kind of navigate these waters and see exactly um, what's going to happen and how they handle this kind of stuff going forward. It also doesn't help that Susie, immediately upon uh, being named the president, started putting together for-profit uh, trips down to places like Casa de Campos, where there's the Tita de Dog courses. <laughs> By the way, I, I think I'm drinking way too much coffee this morning because I don't even think I said teeth of the dog. I think I just said Tita de Dog. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, if you're a lady and you got 2,000 extra bucks, you can go down and play golf with Susie Whaley here in a couple months. So, uh I don't really know if uh, that's kind of kosher. Uh, I guess, you know, people in positions of powers, namely people that are uh, the president, uh, doing things that improve their own personal wealth uh, and using their power to do so uh, is now apparently standard practice in America. You know, obviously you lead from example from the top, and that does not appear to be any exception for the PGA of America and Susie Whaley. So, um Interesting development there. We will see how Susie's multiple-year tenure as the PGA of America president goes, but uh, it's off to a a foggy start. But uh, let's just hope things get better, and uh, yeah, we wish the best of luck to Susie in her tenureship as president. Um, and last little thing before we get into the news of the new golf course development in the Bay Area is that the uh, loved Wynn Golf Course. So uh, if you guys are not familiar with the Las Vegas golf scene. Uh, Steve Wynn, um, owner of obviously the Wynn Resorts, you know, prominent uh, casino magnet mogul uh, in Las Vegas for many, many years. Um, he originally, uh, back in the early 90s, is the man who actually 
uh, commissioned Tom Fazio to build Shadow Lakes, the now infamous golf course that's going to be hosting the match with Tiger and Phil next week. Uh, Tom Fazio built this. It's widely regarded to be the best desert golf course in the world. Uh, it also, you know, I mean, it doesn't really much feel like a desert golf course when you see pictures of it or you go to visit and because there's just so many artificial trees everywhere. But um, long story short, it's absolutely beautiful. It's fantastic. And after operating that for several years, uh, Steve Wynn sold Shadow Lakes to the MGM Corporation, who now uh, own it and manage Shadow Lakes. And after he did that, he brought Tom Fazio back to design another 18-hole golf course right off the Las Vegas Strip. Um and that is, you know, it's right behind the Wynn, uh, the Wynn Hotel. And for many years, it was really popular. It certainly was never uh, on the same level. It never got the same amount of accolades as the Shadow Lakes course did. Um, but it was wildly popular by most accounts. And last year, they shut it down because they were going to use the land for that golf course as a development site for a, a large and ambitious expansion project. Um, and the news just came down here in the last couple of days that that is no longer going to be the case, that Wynn is going to reopen uh, that Wynn golf course just off the Las Vegas Strip. And there were a couple contributing factors. One, obviously, the uh, plan for expansion fell through. But I think the one thing that we're learning is that Wynn did not really l realize, and I don't mean just Steve specifically, I just kind of mean the Wynn company didn't realize how much of their casino business um, was reliant on golfers, guys coming in to play golf uh, right off the Strip and gamble in the casinos. And in, I believe it's a article from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, um, they forecast that since the golf course is closed less than a calendar year ago, that the casino has lost out on somewhere between 10 and $15 million in casino profits uh, from golf guests that would have otherwise come to the casino to play golf on the golf course. So, um, you know, that, I mean, 10, 15 million bucks, that almost will pay for some of the, most of the maintenance on that golf course for that year. So, why the hell not keep it open? So exciting news for Las Vegas golf fans. That Wynn Golf Course is going to be set to reopen. Uh, I don't have an exact firm date uh, as to when the course will reopen to the public or uh, guests at the very least of the Wynn Hotels and Resorts. But uh, as soon as I get that information, I will uh, bring that to you guys mostly in podcast form. All right. I think that's it for now. So let's get to the main topic of today's podcast, which is a new golf course development in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, if you're asking yourself, how in the hell can a golf course project afford to you know, build a new development in the Bay Area? The real estate prices in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, as I'm sure you are well aware of, are astronomical. They are crazy. Um, and the thing is, you know, the, the prices do not just extend to the city of San Francisco, but you know, as as that becomes more expensive, it's pushing people out into other communities, you know, the East Bay, the North Bay, uh, and then those are getting more expensive and people are getting pushed further and further out who can't uh, afford um, the real estate, on, you know, on a uh, Bay Area uh, salary. But uh, lo and behold, it is not a new development. So here's how it breaks down. As has been the case with so many uh, new courses built in the last 10 years, this is going to be a basically a teardown of an existing golf course facility and going to be building something new in its place. And the facility is Blue Rock Springs in Vallejo, California. Now, there's a lot of layers to this um, going on, and so I'll try to do as best a job as I can of breaking everything down for you. So 
For those of you who are not familiar with Blue Rock Springs, it is a 36-hole municipal golf facility in Vallejo, California, not far off uh, from the junctions of highways 80 and 37, very close to the Six Flags Amusement Park. I think Marine World uh, is what they call it. Um, just a few minutes by the car up into the hills above the city of Vallejo. And both of those courses have been around for a long time. Uh, it's a large, large piece of property, I believe close to 500 acres altogether. Uh, as I mentioned, two 18-hole golf courses, a full grass driving range. Um, I mean, as far as public golf facilities go, Blue Rock Springs is really, really awesome. Uh, each of the courses is, you know, pretty, you know, unique uh, you know, compared to the other course at the facility. The West course, uh, certainly much flatter. Um, it, it, it's a little bit more popular, I would say, because it's a little bit easier. The East course, uh, certainly more difficult, a lot more undulation, a lot more hills to navigate. Um, but also a lot of really spectacular and beautiful views and certainly is on a little bit more of a, a obtuse piece of the property um, with all the elevation changes and stuff going on up there. And then they have a clubhouse down uh, next to the first tee of the west course, a small little snack bar shop and uh, up on the east course that also kind of serves as their clubhouse up there. Um, so overall, the, the facility itself doesn't really have a lot of problems other than the fact that it is a municipal golf facility in a city uh, that has had a wild amount of financial trouble. So um, also, in case you're not aware, back in 2008, the city of Vallejo, <laughs> again, so much copy, uh, the city of Vallejo was uh, forced to file Chapter 9 bankruptcy. The city went uh, basically belly up. Uh, they had to cut all of its services, police, fire, you name it, down to the bare bones. And over the last 10 years or so, they've done a pretty good job of crawling out of um, the hole that they were in, and now um, they're turning its eye to the golf course. So uh, as of right now, uh, several years back, I don't have the exact date uh, for reference here, but I know it was a little bit before the city of Vallejo filed for bankruptcy. So it was probably in the early 2000s that uh, a substantial amount of work went into improving the facilities at Blue Rock Springs, I believe, to the tune of $7 million dollars. Um, and so the property of Blue Rock Springs carries a $7 million principal debt uh, for improvements that they made back then. And since then, the city of Vallejo has had to use $4.3 million from its general fund to subsidize those golf courses and, you know, partially pay some of that back. So um, from the city's perspective, the golf course has been running at a loss for a long time. And, you know, it's, it's, all, it's the combination of, you know, having that much ground to cover, you know, that many acres of golf course to maintain. Uh, combined with the, you know, just the amount of people that are coming out to play golf, a 36-hole golf facility, the way that it is right now, just doesn't appear to be economically feasible. Um, most of the parties, the management company that uh, oversees the operations at Blue Rock Springs, as well as the city council and everybody else like that, has more or less come to the conclusion that as it, in its current form as a 36-hole complex, it's just going to be tough for Blue Rock Springs to... Um, be able to climb out, climb out of the hole, and actually start making serious money, where it is not a liability for the city of Vallejo anymore. Well, the city is looking to a private-public partnership. I mean, they're hoping to bring private money into this project as a way for them to kind of wipe their hands, uh, get this thing off the ground, and obviously, anytime you're talking about golf courses and you're talking about private money, you obviously are talking about coming in and building home sites. So. Um, it looks like the developer by the name of William Lynn Holmes uh, is in talks with the city of Vallejo to construct 
a few hundred homes on the 500-something acre property that now is Blue Rock Springs. So here is where the details get a little interesting. So as of right now, the plan is for roughly a third of the land that is currently used for Blue Rock Springs to be converted into home sites, um, which, you know, Hey, you know, as, as a golf purist, I, there's so many guys that are like, oh, well, you got to build home sites to golf course. You know, the Bay Area uh, is just in one of the most crazy housing shortages of all time. So a- anything uh, within reason that leads to more homes getting built and having more places for people to live, I'm actually going to go ahead and say that is a good thing. Now, for the remaining two-thirds of the property that currently is Blue Rock Springs, none other then shirtless wonder himself, Gregory Norman, has been brought in. Uh, Greg Norman Design is apparently the firm that the city of Vallejo and William Lynn Homes has chosen to develop a golf course. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, two-thirds of the property, how are they going to build 36 more holes? Well, the answer is that they are not going to. So the plan is that Greg Norman Design is going to come in, and with the remaining two-thirds of the property, um that is currently Bruach Springs, they're going to design an 18-hole golf course. uh, And then also, it is going to come with what I understand is a large, uh, you know, acre-plus putting green that is going to be able to be an 18-hole putting course. And then they're also talking about using some extra land to then uh, build anywhere between a 5- to 9-hole par 3 course. Um, and then also going to be having plenty of land for walking, parks, green spaces. I know some members of the city council would like to see other recreational options up there, like bocce ball and, and you know, wh- whatever else that you might think that uh, some city council member wants to do on a Saturday afternoon. But um, the long and the short of it is basically they're going to be taking, you know, 150% of the space they have for one golf course to create, uh, you know, a- another golf course. <laughs> what am I saying? They're going to have more land uh, per 18 holes to build a new golf course and then should also have some supplemental um, you know some golf there for you know something for the community like a putting course and that par 3 course that is going to go a long way in promoting golf to people that aren't avid players of the game and just for, you know taking a step back the fact that Vallejo is really considering doing this and uh, is maybe going to have an option where you have a putting course and a sh- really nice short par 3 course available for the public uh, that is somewhat municipally run um, is really, really exciting, and I think it's really, really good for golf fans um, all over the Bay Area, and even people that don't live in the Bay Area that are looking for a place to play when they come visit. Uh, it looks like it's going to be, you know, if, if all things go according to plan, a really great place to do just that. Now, deep down, here is where the golf nerd in me um, starts to have, not, not necessarily a problem, but wonders what could have been different had they had someone... Um, with more golf, with a you know more of a golf background to help them do this. Now, to my understanding, it's not purely the city of Vallejo that uh, chose Greg Norman to design this golf course. Obviously, with William Lynn Holmes uh, investing so much money into the residential development, I'm sure they had a hand in handpicking Greg Norman because, as you know, as is the case so often uh, with residential golf communities. You know, the developers want a golf course designer with a big name that has a lot, you know, has a lot of sex appeal. Uh, in Greg Norman's case, probably too much sex appeal, um, because that's what helps them sell homes. Hey, come buy a beautiful 2,500 square foot four bedroom home on a Greg Norman signature golf course. You know, it sounds it sounds a lot sexier uh, than if you were to insert some, you know, other lesser 
uh, known golf course architect. But you know, this gets back to the problem, and I've mentioned this in the podcast before, and it uh, reminds me of an article that Andy Johnson of the Friday wrote several months back, I think probably early 2018, about, I believe, a golf course in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, who was looking at hiring a really expensive golf course architect to come in and redo a facility um, that you know is also kind of in a little bit of financial trouble, just like Vallejo's been. And knowing that there are so many unbelievably talented golf course architects out there who, in my opinion, you know, are better than Greg Norman, uh, you know, have, have worked on projects that turned out to be much better than what Greg Norman seems to be putting out there. Um, it, it, it's disappointing that something at the city like Vallejo uh, that has had a history of so much financial trouble would opt to go with a far more expensive uh, golf course architect that may or may not build the best golf course possible uh, considering what that land will allow. I mean, certainly I'm a little biased. You know, guys like Brett Hochstein, who's been on this podcast before, is amazingly talented, uh, has worked with Tom Doak, uh, Todd Eckenrode, I mean, just all these different guys. And he's one of dozens, dozens and dozens of young, hungry golf course architects out there um, that are are gaining a little bit more uh, notoriety in terms of uh, projects. I know that Riley Johns um, and Keith Reb, who both worked under Core Crenshaw, uh, did the Winter Park 9 down in Florida, and now they've been commissioned to do another uh, renovation project. Um, you know, Kyle Fritz, like just, there's all kinds of young, hungry architects out there that would have loved to have done this project. It kind of would have been their breakthrough. It would have been their ability to kind of put their stamp on something and have a piece of work that they could refer future clients to as something they're going to pour their heart and soul into. And instead, we're going to get one of however many golf course projects that Greg Norman is working on at any given time. Now, that is not to say that the golf course is going to be bad. I I do have faith that the golf course could turn out to be really fantastic. It's just that the purist inside of me is a little disappointed that they didn't take this opportunity to really give a shot to somebody who not only just needed it, but probably would have given the golf course ultimately a better product um, to work with. So, okay, rant over. Um, but getting back to the main thing is, if this actually turns out to be a case where they're going to have an 18-hole golf course um, that is very fair for beginners of the game, uh, when I spoke with a representative at Blue Rock Springs, um, you know, he was saying it's going to be very beginner-friendly, big, wide fairways, uh, possibly some shared fairways, you know, large corridors, and that that is something that if they end up doing it and also keeping the course in really good shape and kind of turn it into a really nice daily fee municipal golf experience. Um, that That is going to be a home run, an absolute home run. And when you combine it with a putting course and a par three course to go along with it, as long as a lot of other you know, communal green space, places to walk and everything else like that, um, assuming that everything kind of goes to plan, this should be a real boon to the Bay Area golf scene and is going to be really, really exciting. So uh, that same representative at Blue Rock Springs that I spoke to, said that the city of Vallejo and Greg Norman Golf are very, very determined to try to get this thing going as soon as possible. Um, he's saying they're pushing for, you know, starting to close maybe nine holes of the current 36-hole facility as soon as 2019. Um, but then he also followed up saying that's probably pretty unlikely that if this is going to be um, happening, that the first thing you could see, you know, the first, the first time they'd be breaking ground on anything or closing any of the current golf courses down would probably be early 2020, which means 
that even though they are not going to win any awards and they're not, you're not going to see either of these courses in any top 100 rankings anytime soon, that means we've only got about a year left to go out and play the West and the East course of Blue Rock Springs before they start shutting things down. And both of those golf courses are well worth playing. So if you are a Bay Area golfer and you're looking for somewhere to play that you haven't played before, you know, go up, check out Blue Rock Springs. Again, they're not going to win any awards for the best in state, but they are really fun golf courses, especially that East course. If you're looking for a good ass kicking, um, th- that is a tough, tough track. I think it's like, you know, uh, par 70, maybe, you know, 66, 67 and change um, with a lot of elevation change. And it's a, it's a ton of fun and has some really, really cool views from up there. So um, in the meantime, if you haven't, you know, played it lately, I would encourage all of you to at least go check out Blue Rock Springs and kind of see uh, what's there, get a little lay of the land, because it'll be fun to go up there, play the golf courses, look around, and then try to figure out exactly where this new golf course uh, is going to be. I mean, as of right now, the property is pretty much bisected by the road that you use to access Blue Rock Springs. Obviously, the east course is east of the road, west course west of the road. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see if this new golf course is going to be on both sides of that road. Uh, or if it's not, which side is the residence is going to be on as opposed to the golf course. So lots of fascinating and interesting stuff to look forward to with this Blue Rock Springs uh, redevelopment. Uh, as I get more information on this project, I will bring it to you as soon as I have it available. I I admittedly was aware of this project several months back, but I did not have uh, clearance, uh, at least I thought, um, to kind of discuss it publicly. So now that I've gotten the thumbs up, I'm letting all of you guys know. Um, there's a little bit of information that's kind of been going out on the internet and from the, I believe the Vallejo times journal. I'm sorry, guys, I'm probably butchering your, uh, your publication name, but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting. So as new developments happen on the blue rock Springs front, I will make sure I relay those to you as they become available, but please be on the lookout for, uh, any of that stuff coming up here pretty soon. I mean, you might see the shark wandering around Vallejo, California with the shirt off talking, you know, talking municipal golf and Hey, that could be good for all of us. So, uh, with that. That's it, everybody. I don't have anything else for you on this week's episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, The best way that you can support this podcast is to leave us a review in iTunes. Uh, Five stars is certainly, certainly preferred, but, uh, you know, whatever you can do to help us out um, in terms of leaving a review, it's very much appreciated. Uh, I am very grateful that you guys are able to stick this thing out with me each and every week. Um, And to that end, I am endlessly thankful. Uh, that's it, everybody. I am going to go detox off coffee. I'm probably going to go mainline some water, have my nurse wife, uh, probably get some fluids into me so I don't pass out from, uh, an overindulgence of caffeine. And, uh, with that, everybody have a wonderful weekend. I'll be back with you all next week. And until then, hello. Mm-hmm.